Just a, <clears throat> a few days ago, on July the 20th, we were remembering the 50th anniversary of man stepping onto the moon. Apollo 11 was the first mission to the surface of the moon with men uh, walking from it, but it is Apollo 13, which is probably the most famous of all the moon missions, because it was the one that didn't get there and very nearly didn't get back again. It set off from the Kennedy Space Center on the 11th of April, 1970, but then on April the 13th, the world heard these now infamous words that are remembered to this very day. Houston, we have a problem. Apparently an oxygen tank had exploded, making the command vehicle uninhabitable and forcing the crew to take to the lunar module as a lifeboat until it landed on uh, four days later. When we were in Boston last September on one of those bus tours, uh, we learned that President J.F. Kennedy wanted to have mission control situated in Boston because he was from Massachusetts. But after he was assassinated, he was succeeded by Lyndon B. Johnson, who was a Texan. And so he had it built in Houston, Texas. And so those famous words could well have been, Boston, we have a problem. Anyway, we know that everything ended safely in the end, but still those words are used to a day, today to announce that things are maybe not going as straightforward as we would like them to. Jerusalem, we have a problem, are words that could well have rung out in the early days of the church. There was a problem of opposition in chapter 4 that we looked at last week and the stance that Peter and John had to take in the the face of fierce opposition. There was the problem of disobedience in chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira trying to keep back something for themselves while it's given the impression that they had presented everything to the disciples. Now there was another problem here in chapter 6 because of the growth of numbers of the church. A problem like this might well be thought of as a good problem. But any problem needs a solution. And the solution which the earliest church came to also teaches us a lesson this morning. It's interesting to trace the growth of the earliest church. Chapter 2, verse 41, we're told 3,000 were added to the number that day. In 2 verse 47, we read that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In chapter 4 verse 4 that we read last week, the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now in 6 verse 1 that Mark read to us this morning, we read those days when the numbers of disciples were increasing. And again in 6 verse 7, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly with even a large number of priests becoming obedient to the faith. 160 years ago, there were also problems here in Korean surrounding the mighty doings of God. 
Thousands of people crowded onto the fair hill, which is about where Tesco is now, on Tuesday, June the 7th. The late Dr. J.T. Carson, in his book, God's River and Spate, tells how one platform was not enough for all the people to hear the message, and so they hurriedly erected more and put one, each one in charge of, by a local minister. When, reli- when revival came, Dr. Carson writes, it came not like the rising tide, but like a tidal wave. Similar gatherings were also held on the Wednesday and Thursday of that week, and by then the ministers, of which one of them was the Reverend Alfred Canning of Second Korean, were faced with another problem, that of the privacy to counsel the souls stricken with a sense of their sin. So it was suggested that the new town hall would be asked for. And permission was given, and this noble building, which still stands in the centre of our town, was first used by a vast crowd of anxious sinners, writes J.T. Carson, who agonised with God for the pardon of their sins. Later on in that chapter, Dr. Carson reflects on one of the things Dr. Billy Graham always pinpointed in his evangelistic campaigns, that of the need to care for the converted, to be connected into the life of the local churches. When it came to communion that year in 1859, here in 2nd Korean, there were a hundred new communicants, not forgetting the other churches as well. This was a good problem, and one that we continue to pray will come again one day. We pray that it will come again one day, for we live in a world that is blasé to the seriousness of sin and the reality of hell. It ignores the person of Christ, it lives by his own standards, and it determines his own truth tries to peddle the idea that there is no God and to believe in such a deity is both naive and pointless. The Bible is a book of made-up stories that the church is the greatest evil the world has known. Only a revival of a heart, one by one, of a nation, bit by bit, by the power of the Spirit of God, can bring about that change. And so it is not a waste of time to pray for that, to pray for our families, for our town, for our nation. That is why the church prayer meeting is still one of the most important meetings that we gather for each month. The earliest church in Jerusalem was growing daily through a mighty revival, a mighty revival that we already looked at with these these different references. But the secret of this growth can be found in chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. In 41, we read, The leaders were willing to pay any price to serve the Lord Jesus. Any price. And in verse 42, secondly, the people lived out their faith on a daily basis. They lived it out on a daily basis. Notice the pattern there in verse 42. Day by day, day after day, 
in the temple courts, from house to house, they, not somebody else, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. That was the pattern that the earliest church had. Warren Worsby has written, Godly pastors and officers alone cannot make a church grow. Every member must do his or her part. Godly pastors and officials alone cannot make a church grow. Every member must do his or her part. And that is the same today in this church or whatever church you're from. You are to be the ambassadors for Christ. You are the salt and light. You are to be everyday disciples. And through you, the aroma of Christ is to be shared and to be diffused so that others might be attracted to the Lord Jesus. You are the folk to bring others to church or the different events that we hold within the church. You cannot depend on the ministry team or the elders. We all play our part. We all have a role. But that person might never get there because they don't ever get past what they see in you or me or how we live our lives. For any revival to truly happen elsewhere or even within this place, and must first of all start with us. So think about that and pray about that. Pray about someone who you could invite to church. Maybe it might even start with simply bringing them for a cup of coffee on a Thursday morning to introduce them to the building. Or plan to bring them to Cafe Church, which starts on September the 15th, or even the harvest on October the 6th. Make a plan that you can bring them. Bring them just some random Sunday morning. Or maybe one of the midweek groups meetings when they start up in the autumn, the Friendship Circle, a Thursday uh, lunch club, the, the PW, the New Room Men, the bowling club. Maybe if they've got kids, encourage them to come to BB or GB or uh, Sunday Bible Club or Horizon or, or, or YF. Maybe if they've been out of church for a while, maybe think about bringing them to your home group that you're in, if you are in one, or Wednesday with the Word, if you go there. All of these, try, all of these things try to carry out the four key principles of which we as a church are and what we seek to do. And they're still on that wall outside of that door as you walk past, connecting, growing, serving, changing. That's what we're about. Godly pastors and officers alone cannot make a church grow. Every member must do his or her part. How can you play your part? How can you serve within this place? How can you fulfill a role beyond what you do? Think about this for a moment. If everyone did what I did, if everyone prayed as I prayed, 
if everyone gave as I give, what would our church be like? Or would it be here at all? But let's get back to Jerusalem. The earliest church, as we said, had this emerging problem which needed to be dealt with. And the assembly of believers had increased so rapidly that the apostles were not able to handle the daily distribution of food. And as a result, some of the Hellenistic or Grecian Jews had been neglected. In the synagogue, there was this routine. Uh, Two collectors went round the market and private houses every Friday morning and made a collection for the needy, partly in money and partly in goods. And later in the day, this was distributed. Those who were temporarily in need received enough to enable them to carry on. Those who were permanently unable to support themselves received enough for 14 meals. That is enough for two meals a day for the following week. This distribution was called the cuppa or basket. And on top of this, there was a house-to-house collection made daily for those in real need called the tamhuai, or the tray. And it appears that the earliest church had taken on this custom, but in the Christian church, there were now two kinds of Jews. There were the Hebraic Jews, who spoke the ancient Aramaic, prided themselves in being the true descendants. And then there were the Hellenistic, or Grecian Jews, the mixture from foreign countries who had come up for Pentecost and made the great discovery of Christ. Their ancestors had left many years before for different reasons. Some might even have been sent into exile, but now they only spoke Greek. So even now there was a certain snobbery as the Hebraic Jews looked down on their uh, foreign Jews. And this contempt affected the daily distribution of alms. And there was the complaint that the widows of the Greek-speaking Jews were being possibly, deliberately neglected. In response, the apostles felt they ought not to get themselves mixed up in a matter like this. They were called to pray and preach. That should take priority in their lives. And so we read in 6 verse 2 that the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. There are lots of things that a church can do without. I'll not mention any in particular, just to keep myself right. Uh, But the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is not one of them. That is central to the call to ministry, to teach and to preach. I am not ordained to run a walking club, although I might well want to be a member of one, or coordinate a flower-arranging group, much though it would be nice to bring people to it. I remember many years ago in the early days of our ministry, we started lots of new initiatives, but they came from Christina and myself, whether it was mums and toddlers to senior citizens, the use of an overhead projector to put words on the wall, not even a screen 
on a wall to the writing, printing, folding of announcement sheets. And I was able to start lots and lots of things, but their survival depended on me and took up so much of my time, and it was exhausting. But thankfully, others eventually took them on, but not until a vacancy had occurred. It's not that the twelve were unwilling to do these jobs of service. It was just that there weren't enough hours in the day for them to be supervising everything. A precedent had been set by Moses in Exodus 18 that we read just a few moments ago when he appointed elders to try minor cases so that he could focus on other things. However, this ministry to the widows was still very important, vital in fact, and so seven people full of the spirit and wisdom were to be chosen to fulfill the rule instead of the apostles. And of the seven, uh, uh, Philip, who we'll look at later on in the series, Stephen, who we'll look at next week, are the only two who we know anything about, although Luke records here for some reason that Nicholas was from Antioch and a convert to Judaism. The majority of the seven came from this grouping of Hellenistic Jews showing that the apostles were taking this issue seriously. And as a result, these men set about their work, allowing the apostles to do theirs. And we read in chapter 6, verse 7, that the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, and even a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. There was a fresh revival. A revival that started with the grumbling of a group of widows who some days were going hungry. It was, in fact, a wake-up call, even if a less than welcome one to the apostles, to change some things that proved to be far-reaching. You see, if the, the apostles had failed to deal with this, if the apostles had failed to deal with what should have been the priorities among their tasks then they would have been prevented from the great days that followed. We're a bit blessed with a great ministry team here. And it is very humbling on a Sunday morning to sit in the pulpit and hear the team being prayed for by those who lead prayers of intercession. We've had a great team down the years augmented by the valuable ministry of the Reverend Johnson. But a ministry team includes us all. Staff, elders, committee, church members. Just that we all have different roles to play. And the role that Johnny and I have, and the one to which we are ordained to, is to teach and preach and pastor. And that is why body ministry is so important, that each one of us is needed, but also that we work together for the glory of the Lord Jesus. We talked earlier on about being fellow workers. Here in Acts chapter 6, there was social action out of spiritual 
concern. That's why we're involved in Causeway Food Bank. It's a very simple way of meeting the needs of others, and we thank you. Every week there's food put into those boxes and regularly brought up to the Causeway Food Bank. It's why we give to World Development. It's why we give to the Children's Society along with other groups. They are meeting a need, and in meeting it, we are being a witness to that need as well so that the Lord Jesus might receive all the glory and honor, and not we who are simply giving back a portion of what the Lord has given to us in the first place. Mali is a West African country. It's mainly Muslim. 35 years ago, in 1984, there was a widespread famine there. In one area, there was a string of 10 Christian churches that had been static in their membership for many years. And then in 1984, they began to have inquiries from Muslims wanting to become Christians in quite large numbers. The pastors asked the inquirers, we have been among you for years. Why have you become so interested in our gospel now? They were told, when the famine came, we saw you were getting food from abroad. We told ourselves that you would either keep it for yourselves or sell it like the traders for high prices. You did none of these things. You shared it equally with all of us. And we need to know the message that make people behave like that. You see, the seven were the first evidence that there was a message like that. A message that people still need to hear and still can see when they see that we care about them. We care inside the church as we serve together and not simply allowing others to serve us. Outside the church, in our attitudes and our actions, in our aspirations, looking at us, they only see Jesus. God blessed the earliest church here in Jerusalem when they faced this problem honestly and solved it with a pattern of ministry which is still applicable today, a pattern that each one of us is a part of. So let's seek his blessing for his church, this church, whatever church you're from this morning, to be his everyday disciples, holding forth the word of truth and life, and together connecting and growing and serving and changing. For the glory of the Lord we ask it. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that you call each one of us to serve you in whatever capacity that might be. We pray that you might challenge us as to how we are part of this place or the church that we have come from this morning. 
We pray that as we reflect on that, we ask that you would help us at how we might go forward from here to present ourselves for service so that we might be stronger, that we might grow in our own faith and appreciation of one another, but also that we might be fully equipped to be your co-workers, reaching out, to be salt and light, to be the fragrance, the aroma of Christ in this community. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.